Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to Kiera Corp 2020 Third Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Lavon Sadunik, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Kier's third quarter conference call for 2020. Our speakers today will be David Smith, CEO, Dean Setaguchi, President, Eileen Maricar, SVP and CFO, Brad Locke, SVP and COO, and as well, Jamie Urquhart, SVP and Chief Commercial Officer, will be available for the Q&A section following our prepared remarks. Before we begin, I would like to remind listeners that some of the comments and answers that we will provide speak to future events. These forward-looking statements are given as of today's date and reflect events or outcomes that management currently expects. In addition, we will also refer to some non-GAAP financial measures. For information on non-GAAP measures and forward-looking statements, please refer to CARE's public filings available on CDAR and our website. With that, I will now turn it over to David Smith. Thank you, LaVon, and good morning, everyone. Well, we continue to navigate the twin challenges of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and low commodity prices. I am pleased with our commitment to health and safety, our financial discipline, and the resilience of our business, the resilience our business continues to show. In the third quarter, we delivered solid financial results, and on a year-to-date basis, both adjusted EBITDA and distributable cash flow increased over last year. We maintained a strong balance sheet and kept our payout ratio low at 54% year-to-date. We remain confident in our ability to maintain our monthly dividend and fund our capital projects without issuing common equity. Eileen will provide more details on our financial results later in the call. We continue to ensure our business is well-positioned today and for the long term. Our gathering and processing optimization plan is progressing well, and the expected cost efficiencies will provide better netbacks for our customers and improved profitability for Kiera. These optimization efforts will be the catalyst to delivering a best-in-class cost structure that will make Kiera more competitive and allow us to preserve and grow our market share. To extend and enhance our integrated infrastructure business even further, we plan to invest between $400 million and $500 million on growth capital projects in 2021. The majority of this investment relates to the CAPS pipeline system, which will be a strategic asset for Kiera, connecting our gas plants in the Montney development in northwest Alberta to our NGL infrastructure in Fort Saskatchewan and providing numerous growth opportunities within our upstream and downstream businesses. We expect to begin construction in 2021 and have the pipeline in service in 2023. 
Looking further ahead, I am confident in the outlook for the Canadian energy sector and for Kiera. Natural gas prices are improving. Producers are continuing to drive costs down and improve their balance sheets. And Alberta's access to markets is improving with additional transportation capacity. And our industry continues to innovate to reduce our environmental footprint and support the transition to cleaner energy. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Brad to discuss our operations. Thank you, David. Health and safety remain Kier, remains Kiera's top priority, and we continue to emphasize the well-being of our workers throughout the organization. Once again, I would like to thank our frontline employees and contractors for their commitment to our values and their diligence in working safely with one another in these exceptional times. At Kiera, we provide essential services to the energy industry, and we understand the, the importance of responding to our customers' needs. In 2020, we worked diligently with our customers to develop mutually beneficial solutions to keep gas volumes flowing during the commodity price turmoil of the past eight months. Unfortunately, in the third quarter, we had an unplanned outage at our Wapiti gas plant. We recognized the importance of this plant to our customers and worked hard to bring the plant back online in a safe and efficient manner in late September. Since that time, the plant has been operating very well and we continue to take steps to improve the reliability of the facility to ensure its continuity of service. Reliability and predictability is important for all of the assets within our portfolio. As a result, we decided to take our Alberta Envirofuels facility offline this fall for approximately six weeks to address performance issues and complete some additional preventative maintenance. The outage began in October, is proceeding exceptionally well and we expect to have AEF back operating later this month. The maintenance activities we are undertaking are intended to facilitate AEF's continued reliable operation at full capacity until its next scheduled turnaround in the fall of 2022. Kiera continues to modify its business to provide the most competitive services to our customers while improving our profitability. During the third quarter, we significantly advanced our gathering and processing optimization plan in the South region. In August and September, we suspended operations at our West Pamina and Bigger A gas plants, successfully diverting these volumes to nearby Kiera facilities. In 2021, we plan to suspend operations at our Racinus and Brazo North gas plants, followed by the Nordic gas plant in 2022. We expect our optimization efforts will increase utilization in the South region to approximately 7%, 70% lower per unit operating costs and significantly reduce Kiera's environmental impact by eliminating the greenhouse gas emissions associated with those facilities. We also continue to progress our capital projects. We are currently commissioning phase two of the Wapiti gas plant and finishing the Wild Horse crude oil storage and blending terminal in Cushing, Oklahoma. We expect to have this terminal mechanically complete by year end and operating in the first half of 2021. Pipestone gas plant began operating in October, five months ahead of schedule and on budget. The newly constructed gas plant is processing volumes from our anchor tenant Ovinto under a 20-year infrastructure agreement. This investment is an important next step in Kiera's strategy to build a stronger presence in the liquids-rich Montany development. With our Pipestone, Wapiti, and Simonette gas plants, Kiera has a world-class footprint providing significant natural gas and condensate processing capacity, which will ultimately be connected to our CAPS pipeline once it is put into service. 
I'll now pass it over to Eileen to talk about our financial results and plans. Thanks, Brad. As David mentioned, Kiara delivered strong results in the third quarter of 2020, despite the ongoing pandemic and low commodity price environment. Overall, our integrated business delivered adjusted EBITDA of $196 million, bringing our year-to-date adjusted EBITDA to $705 million, which is $22 million higher than the same period last year. In the third quarter, our gathering and processing business delivered $49 million in operating margin because of lower drilling activity by producers and the unplanned outage at our Wapiti gas plant, which reduced operating margin by $16 million. Within our liquid infrastructure business, demand was strong for our fractionation and storage assets, which operated near capacity during the quarter. Throughout 2020, this part of our business has delivered approximately $100 million in operating margin each quarter, demonstrating the value of these assets and their ability to generate a steady stream of cash flow despite fluctuating market conditions. Our marketing segment also performed well and generated $64 million in realized margin during the quarter, largely due to our isooctane business as well as Kiara's effective risk management program. We continue to expect the marketing segment to generate realized margin of between $300 million and $340 million, although at the lower end of the range given the outage at our AEF facility. For the third quarter, our business delivered distributable cash flow of $175 million, or $0.79 per share. This brings our year-to-date distributable cash flow to $2.66 on a per-share basis, which is 30% higher than 2019, as we're benefiting from significantly lower cash taxes and maintenance capital expenditures this year. We continue to expect maintenance capital to be between $20 million and $25 million in 2020 and have increased our expected current income tax recovery to between $35 million and $45 million. As David mentioned, we expect to invest between $400 million and $450 million in capital, growth capital projects in 2021. Looking to 2021, we expect an income tax expense of between $20 million and $30 million and maintenance capital expenditures to range between $25 and $35 million. With ongoing uncertainty as to when a full recovery in energy demand and commodity prices may occur, we remain committed to our financial discipline and capital allocation priorities. We have a strong balance sheet and strong liquidity position with minimal debt maturities in the near term. With that, I'll turn it over to Dean to talk about our future. Thanks, Eileen. Through the pandemic, we've demonstrated the resiliency of our business. As we look forward to 2021, we recognize that there's a near-term uncertainty, but we feel like the worst is behind us. Our approach will be to focus on factors within our control to strengthen our company for the challenging times that we see today and position for recovery in the future. We'll continue our relentless pursuit to achieve our vision goals of being number one in safety, number one in customer recognition, and number one in total shareholder return. Our near-term priorities will focus on improving reliability, achieving a best-in-class cost structure with our optimization program, company-wide cost reduction initiatives, and an emphasis on innovation to find further step changes to our business. And 
also leveraging our entire integrated value chain to deliver our customers the most profitable midstream solutions. We believe these initiatives will competitively position us to capture market share and incremental volumes when activity picks up. As I look to our future, I'm excited for what lies ahead. With improving natural gas prices and additional takeaway capacity for both natural gas and oil under construction, there's reason to be confident in the outlook for the Canadian energy sector and Kiera. We'll continue to maintain our track record of exercising prudent financial discipline. We have strong growth opportunities for the future, including CAPS, CAPS ancillary projects, expanding the baseline terminal, and developing our significant land base in industrial heartland with projects to enhance and extend our downstream liquids business. In addition, our infrastructure assets and services we offer align with Alberta's new natural gas strategy, which could lead to additional growth opportunities. We're also focused on, in, on continuing to improve all aspects of our ESG track record, something that has always been a part of Kier's values, culture, and the way we do business. In the coming months, we'll be issuing our inaugural ESG report to show how we think about ESG throughout our business. Finally, I'd like to thank David for building a strong business, a talented team, and a strong culture, all key foundations for a successful future. I'm excited and honored to be taking over and committed to carrying on the great legacy that you're leaving behind. David, over to you for the final word. Thanks, Dean. This might be the last time I get the final word. <laughs> As you all know, I will be retiring from Kira at the end of the year. We have a I'm very proud of the Kira team, and I'm very proud of the foundation we have built. We have a strong balance sheet and an integrated portfolio of assets with sustainable competitive advantages. We have a great team of highly capable, innovative, and passionate individuals who will continue Kira's track record as a responsible corporate citizen, generating value for shareholders. And as I mentioned earlier, I am confident in the outlook for the Canadian energy sector, where I know Kiera will continue to play a prominent role. As Dean takes over as CEO, I know that he and his team have the experience, discipline, vision, and energy to guide Kiera successfully through the next decade. I will continue to be a significant shareholder, so I will be watching. I would like to thank Kiera's board of directors, management team, employees, customers, shareholders, and all other stakeholders for your support over my 22-year career with Kiera. Back to you, Levon. Thank you, David. With that concluding our prepared remarks, I will now turn it back to the operator to go ahead with the first question. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad to ask a question. Our first question comes from Linda Eppergalens with TD Securities. Your line is now open. Thank you, and uh, want to wish uh, David all the best uh, in your retirement, and congratulations on a successful career. Thank you, Linda. Uh, I know, I know, I know the company remains in, in good hands. So uh, 
we'll all be watching uh, the continued uh, um, navigation through some of the opportunities and challenges. I guess the biggest uh, question I have right now is we have seen some um, producer consolidation, and I'm just wondering uh, what sort of opportunities and challenges this might present, not just for your current operations, but how um, you might shape your uh, potential growth projects uh, going forward. Sure, Linda, it's, it's, it's Dean. You know, overall, we, we believe that it's, it's positive uh, in, in terms of uh, when we see our producers um, basically uh, combine and, and create a, a stronger, uh, more stable entity that's capable of, of uh, sustaining development, and particularly in areas that are you know, highly economic and, and where we have our facilities. So I think as a general statement, we, we think that's important. But Overall, our strategy mean, uh, remains the same, and, and that's that we need to provide very competitively uh, priced services. And uh, again, with all of our initiatives, with our optimization program, our cost reduction and uh, in innovation program that we have underway, um, you know, I think we're, we're well on track on that perspective. But also, because of the uh, integrated um, assets and services that we offer, we're also very dedicated to offer our customers the best net back. And again, because of the expertise we have and the uh, assets that we have, um, we're, we're able to do that. Linda, I would add, Linda, it's David here. I, I would simply add that, uh, as, just as a general comment, that I think you know when, when we see consolidation, and I agree with Dean, I think it's positive for the industry. Um, you know, We generally expect that there'll be a, a, a more and disciplined approach to the development of the resource, um, and, uh, and and I think that that works well for the industry. But it's also it's also good for Kira in terms of our planning. Okay, and and as a follow up, I'm just wondering um, if your marketing opportunities might uh, change, and you might um, maybe evolve how you think about hedging, and maybe in that broader commentary. Um, with some refinery closures, et cetera. Can you give us a glimpse of, of how you're seeing maybe 2021 uh, for your marketing operations and, and the industry outlook? Yeah, Linda, it's Jamie. Um, you know, I think you key on a, one point that's important is that, you know, we are seeing some um, shutdowns and, and uh, reduced run rates on the refinery side of things. So isooctane is a big part of our marketing business. Um, year over year, we're seeing gasoline demand probably off about 10%, but we're actually seeing a greater reduction in refinery run rates due to some shutdowns and also just refineries um, toning back their, their, their capacity. Um, really, Arbub is the only commodity rate um, or gasoline is the only commodity right now that refineries are making any money, and so they're being very disciplined with respect to what their run rates are to ensure that they support a sufficient ARBOB crack over WTI. Um, so, you know, I, that, I don't think we're going to, to answer your other question, look at altering our, our risk management um, policies. Um, I think we see um, volatility as being an opportunity to be opportunistic in execution of our risk management policy, but um, I don't see us um, changing our risk management policy. It's, it's served us very well in the past, um, and that's borne out by our 2020 results. 
Okay, thank you. And just um, um, another question in terms of the outlook for next year. Um, there has been some delays in uh, NGTL uh, debottlenecking and expansions, and I'm wondering if that uh, might have any effect on your uh, facilities or operations or activity levels. Linda, I, I think from our perspective, we don't see uh, the, the NGTL system being a, being a constraint uh, within our network anywhere. I think the bigger issue for us is just what will the level of drilling activity be amongst the producers who are our customers. Okay, thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Our next question comes from Sean Thind with BMO. Your line is now open. Hi, this is Sean for uh, Ben Pham. Uh, firstly, congratulations, David, and uh, all the best in retirement. Thank you, Sean. And uh, just wanted to ask on uh, Wapiti Phase 2 here with commissioning occurring currently, how do you guys really see the return profile and ramp up for that project, and when do you expect to start generating cash flows? Um, so this is Brad. I think... Uh, um, as we've previously communicated, um, the, uh, the commissioning and startup as phase two um, isn't really needed right now for the volumes that we have delivering to the plant today. Um, so it's a, it's a part of the program that I think is going to provide real opportunity as we look to 21 forward, as we look at incremental volumes looking for capacity. There's a number of opportunities we're producing out there or um, pursuing out there where the capacity of train two is really going to set up well to allow us to attract uh, aggressively compete for those volumes and land them into available capacity with our plant. So I think having that facility um, available to, to produce um, is going to provide that opportunity. It's also going to provide a certain degree of redundancy within our facility that we think is going to be significant in allowing us to enhance the reliability of that facility as we go into 2021 forward. Yeah. It Sean, it's uh, Dean. Maybe I just add to that. In our north, in particular, I'd also add that um, although we, you know, our volumes may, profile may not be as high as um, as what we we originally anticipated, we do have taker pays. So we have taker pays that are above the amount of volume that's being delivered to our facilities. So we're still getting paid for for some of the volumes. Um, the other thing. Uh, I would say is that at Wapiti in particular, we have a lot of assets at that complex, including the uh, compressor station, concept stabilization, the uh, water disposal, and uh, those are operating at much higher utilization rates. So we are generating, um, you know, very strong returns for those parts of the uh, of the uh, facility. I think, is to, to Brad's point, um, you know, perhaps what's what what the opportunity for us the next year is that. Um, you know, both Pipestone and uh, Paramount are, are drilling, and they've announced drilling plans in that area. So we will see incremental volumes uh, going forward. And also, you know, our focus on reliability of that facility will, will certainly help us as well. Okay, perfect. Thank you for the uh, detailed answer. And then just on, on leverage, uh, relatively low at 2.4 2 below your guys' target um, of 2.5 to 3 times, I guess, where do you see that metric moving as you move forward with uh, CAPS construction and really the bulk of the spend um, in the next couple of years uh, within the context of your range? Hi, Sean. It's Eileen here. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, at this time we expect to fund CAPS and, you know, the rest of our capital program in 21 without any common equity. Our, our long-term target has always been to maintain that debt to EBITDA uh, in that two and a half to three times range um, because that really provides sufficient buffer so that we can withstand various cycles just like the one we've been in right now. Um, you know, and we're okay to, to go over that range for a short period of time. But long-term, you know, the, the plan is always to, to bring it down to that two-and-a-half to three times range. And, and we have various tools available to us, um, including, you know, hybrids, press, and, and we'll also look to asset sales if and when they make sense. Okay, perfect. That's, that's all for me. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering & Holt. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions here. I just wanted to follow up on Linda's question there about um, the marketing outlook. So public data is showing us propane and butane inventories are well above normal for Western Canada. So if you don't mind addressing two things. First, can you speak to your view of the butane market with AEF being taken offline and pricing already weeks? Is that setting up for a, a, another decent marketing year in 2021? And then the second being if NGL spec inventory levels are well above normal and production isn't fully recovered yet. What's your view on frac rates in 2021? So Matt, it's Jamie. Um, so to talk to butane first, um, yeah, certainly AEF is a is a large consumer of, of butane in the Western Canadian market. Um, right now, we're seeing, you know, pretty much um, average historic pricing for butane in in the spot um, winter market right now. Um, we're seeing, seeing very strong butane pricing down in the U.S. And if everybody recalls back in 2018, um, we, we had some lower butane prices, but those prices rebounded fairly quickly. Um, and that, that's due to, in our opinion, the efficiency of the market in North America. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's early days with respect to our recontracting for um, the, the next contract season. But... Our expectation is is that we would see butane pricing pretty similar to what we would have seen in 2020. Um, um, on the inventory side, yeah, we're seeing high inventories of propane. You'd ex you, you would expect that at this time of year. Um, we've seen some uh, cold weather in the, nor in the Midwest over the last couple of weeks that uh, you know, followed up, obviously, the cold weather that we experienced here in Western Canada, and, and that's uh, spurred on um, expected demand down there. So. We have a winter sales uh, program um, well in place. We're well positioned to take advantage of that with respect to rail cars and rail service that we've lined up, and we expect that uh, Q4 and Q1, uh, um, everything uh, going to plan, will uh, will uh, will have strong quarters on the on the propane side of our business. Thanks, Jamie. And then, can you take one step further and speak to frac rates? Do you, do you expect those inventories to, to clear, go back to somewhat normal? I know you're messaging that utilization, at least for Fort Sass, there should be, um, you know, about where they are right now for 2020. So can you speak to your view on frac rates in 2021? Yeah, sorry, Matt, I, I apologize. Um, so on frac rates, yeah, we that's a basin asset um, based on our uh, access to barrels, uh, both behind our facilities and with our within our network. Um, you know, we we expect frac rates to hang in. Um, um, at current levels and utilization similarly to be, um, you know, uh, strong um, look moving forward in, in 2021. Great. Thanks there, Jeremy. Uh, pardon me, Jamie. And then one more question just to round this out is, um, 
um, on cap. So as you start ramping the spend there in 2021, when do you need to, to order long lead time items? Um, and then I guess the follow-on question to that is if these conditions persist into the summer, would you be willing to defer caps again if necessary? Um, I'll talk to this, Brad. I'll talk to the long lead. Um, I mean, we've, uh, with the deferral into 2021 with our construction plan, we're still sequencing a lot of the, uh, of the activities. We don't expect a lot of spend uh, early in the early in 2021. The commitments will kind of grow as we go through 2021 with an expectation that we're actually going to hit construction in the back half of the year. So there will be some spend in the in the first part of the year, but that'll be modest in nature. And I'll maybe talk and turn it over to Dean to talk about CAPS business. Yeah, Matt, as mentioned, I mean, we, we plan to move forward with our, our project uh, in the first half of next year. And uh, I guess if there's any changes to that plan, we'll, we'll announce at the time, but um, that's certainly our plan today. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. My next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Your line is now open. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, Looks like there was a fairly sizable impairment charge taken for the hull terminal this quarter. Just wondering if you could walk us through what changed there. Um, I guess versus the previous narrative that you know the terminal was well positioned for synergies with Wild Horse, and I guess the rest of your integrated strategy into the U.S. Yeah, Patrick, it's Jamie. So um, hull was you know a very strategic entry point for us in the U.S., particularly into the Mont Bellevue uh, market, but you know, as as we've grown that business, and you touched on it with respect to OLT, Wild Horse, our, our new facility at Galena Park that uh, is going to hopefully be operational uh, towards the end of this year, we've really grown our market presence both on the propane and butane side of things. And as we've developed those relationships in alternative higher value markets, um, you know, Hull has just become less, um, you know, um, impactful, but uh, you know, I'd encourage people to view that we've found higher value markets that uh, that we've been able to take advantage of, and thus the emphasis on the value of Hull for the time being um, is, is less. But it's still, you know, a strategic asset for us, just less strategic as a result of our growing presence down in the U.S. Okay, that's helpful. Um, and then just to follow up on caps, I know you're still in the process of refining the cost estimate there, but uh, with the Alberta government you know, providing some more details on the petrochemical grants, does that influence your thinking at all around pursuing an ethane plus option for CAPS? And I guess as a follow-on, you know, your fractionator's already uh, back running at essentially full capacity. When would you expect to make a decision on any further expansion at KFS? Yeah, um, Patrick, this is, uh, this is Dean. Um, you know, certainly the vision, the long-term vision for CAPS would include a, an ethane plus um, sort of service on it as well. Um, you know, we wouldn't go ahead with that until we have uh, underpinning to uh, to make that investment. So, you know, while we've had a lot of discussions, uh, you know, we, we won't sanction anything on that front until we have uh, contracts to support it. But certainly the, uh, the announcement by the government, the, um, you know, the, the incentive program that was just announced last week, it's all positive for more petrochemical development uh, in our province. And, uh, and again, like producers, uh, the, the petrochemical side of the business wants competition and they want alternative sources of feedstock. And again, you know, our system, our integrated system that has a lot of feedstock in it, a lot of NGLs, 
um, it certainly helps uh, and supports our business as well. So in the long-term future, yes, we do see a, a C2 plus um, service. We see more deethanization, fractionization, um, storage opportunities. But uh, again, we need a contractual backing first. Got it. And I guess with the incentive program also extending into uh, blue hydrogen opportunities, maybe you can just comment on whether or not you guys are pursuing any uh, any opportunities or if any of your gas processing plants are, are good candidates for blue hydrogen production. Yeah, Patrick, it's Jamie. Um, yeah, we, we, we certainly see that as an opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, it's early days with respect to uh, what that opportunity might look like, but we see that um, you know, we would be a logical fit with respect to being able to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, you know, I, I don't know if many people are aware, but we all already um, produce uh, and generate hyd hydrogen off of our AEF process that obviously we'd be looking to, um, you know, uh, uh, what the opportunities are with respect to that existing uh, hydrogen production that we already create at AEF. So, uh, I think we're well positioned, and and certainly we've it's got got a lot of attention in my group with respect to um, moving forward. Yeah, Pat, maybe just to add on that. I mean, obviously there's a lot of momentum with the, both the federal and and uh, provincial government on hydrogen, and and certainly as Jamie said, we're very well positioned to uh, to to provide and create that hydrogen if uh, if the demand is there. Um, I think what's interesting is that if you look in our central Alberta um, capture area where our gas plants are located. Uh, those are some of the largest uh, reservoirs that are capable of storing uh, large amounts of, of carbon. So in terms of generating that blue hydrogen, um, that would be a great area to actually produce it. So we'll see what happens, and we'll continue to work with uh, both levels of government. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. I'll, I'll leave it there. And, David, congratulations on your retirement and for, I guess, successfully executing on the vision that, that you and Jim had more than 20 years ago and setting the company up for a sustainable future. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate that. Our next question comes from the line of Robert Catelier with CIBC Capital. Your line is now open. Hey, good morning, and uh, congratulations to both you and uh, Betty, David, on your uh, upcoming retirement. I know you'll both enjoy that. The, Thanks, uh, I'd like to start uh, with a follow-up on, on Wapiti. Uh, to phase two and how and when that will be placed into service and start generating EBITDA. Can, can you provide a little more clarity there as to uh, whether there's any uh, ticker payer from contractual commitments that have sort of a trigger date to them when uh, sort of the outside date when it will be placed into service? So uh, the uh, Wapiti is, uh, we're commissioning Wapiti phase two right now. Um, so it'll be placed into service here in the, in, and available for service in the next uh, number of weeks. Um, as we've discussed, the, there's really no incremental EBITDA that's going to be generated associated with, um, with Train 2. The positioning that allows us to do with Train 2 is facilitate handling incremental volumes that we see opportunities for through 2021, and in the near term, providing um, real reliability benefits to the existing Wapiti asset. As I look out, you know, late 2021 into 2022, 2023, we do see, you know, contractual requirements for that facility, but certainly not in the near term. So I wouldn't expect a significant EBITDA uptick associated with Grain 2 being ready, available for service. 
Okay, so effectively, the take or pay commitments that those producers have made to WAPI are covered off by the capacity of uh, the existing phase one plant. Yeah, for the most part, there's some there's some minor things that go with it, but it's certainly not material. Yeah, and, okay. and uh, without without getting in too much detail, I mean, sort of the uh, the contractual arrangements are different depending on the different assets, uh, the complex, as I mentioned before. So, you know, the the compressor station, or and, and um, you know, you look at the utilization on constant stabilization and uh, and uh, water disposal; uh, those are very highly utilized. So, I think everybody you know, maybe focuses on the utilization of the gas plant and they apply that to the whole complex, which is not a is not an accurate analysis. Okay, thanks for, thanks for that. And then um, what really do you think the producers need to see uh, to increase their activities, but, you know, in general in the basin, but specifically around the Wapiti? Is there a price level or some other consideration that you think will motivate um, the higher levels of drilling? You know, from my perspective, I mean, I, I think it's promising that we're seeing, um, you know, better natural gas prices today, although, you know, a lot of the economics are driven around uh, the condensate price. Um, condensate demand has uh, returned to uh, back to almost normal levels that we, we would have been at last year. So, um, you know, condensate demand has been very strong. So I think that's promising in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the future pricing for, for condensate. Um, and that has a big influence, obviously, on... Um, on producer confidence in terms of um, moving forward, I think I think what's going to happen in the short term is that producers are going to be a little bit cautious because they want to probably strengthen their balance sheets a bit before they get too aggressive with drilling. But as we mentioned before, you know both Paramount and um, and uh, Pipestone have uh, uh, programs underway, and we're you know as Brad mentioned, we've talked to other producers in the area. I mean, we certainly see that it's still um, a very you know one of the best fairways for for geology. And uh, we certainly believe that uh, there'll be more drilling here in the future, just maybe not as quick as we originally thought. So we'll see more volumes in 2021, but I think as we look into, you know, 22 and 23, we'll continue to see more volumes in that area. Rob, I would add that, um, I, I would add, you know, don't forget that a year ago at this time, producers were starting to ramp up in response to stronger prices. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of them suffered, you know, suffered uh, severely for that when prices crashed in March. Um, and so I think uh, the attitude right now, I think, is caution. And despite the fact that we're seeing, you know, very healthy ACO prices um, and, uh, you know, and, and somewhat better condensate prices, certainly, than we saw in the second quarter of last year, of this year, um, the, the, uh, I think there's, there's still a very cautious approach. Uh, what I do know is that producers are taking advantage of the, the natural gas levels to hedge uh, and to try and, and uh, lock in a little bit more certainty on the commodity price. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that as we get a little bit more certainty around the environment, we'll start to see more activity uh, in the first quarter. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the caution and capital discipline on the producer side is probably um, long-run beneficial to everyone. Uh, if you could just uh, elaborate a little bit on the comment that was in the MDNA about the alkylate supply impacting uh, the, the market for uh, AF? Yeah, Robert, it's just Jamie. Um, yeah, so although refinery run rates are um, lower than um, year over year than, um, than they were uh, 
So right now, refinery run rate is about 75% versus uh, this year, last, this time last year, probably between 85 and 90%. Um, the production of alkalates um, would be pretty much um, the same. So we've got, you know, we got a little bit less gasoline production, but we've got the same amount of alkalate being produced. Um, so, you know, we've got a little bit of uh, headwind or downward pressure on, on the octane um, value um, within North America. Now, I uh, want to emphasize that at AEF we have some very long-standing and we've developed actually um, new relationships in 2020 um, with respect to uh, refineries in North America. In the past, we've, we've relied, um, certainly in the winter, um, more on exports um, into Latin America and we've We've pivoted off of that strategy somewhat to develop more relationships in North America um, that see um, our product, which is a lower um, vapor pressure and higher octane product, uh, uh, you know, and, and prepared to pay a premium relative to octane. So our strategy is being um, to differentiate ourselves and, and, and see that value, um, you know, uh, and get paid that value off of our product. But there, there's no debating the fact that octanes were, were relatively long octanes in North America, and as a result, the standard alkylate product um, is uh, is under price pressure. Um, but once again, I've got to emphasize that AEF, in our opinion, is the preferred octane um, product in, in North America, um, particularly in the summer um, driving season, where we we pretty much place all our product with our existing um, customers. Okay, thanks for those answers. Our next question comes from Chris Tillard with Barclays. Your line is now open. Uh, yeah, hi guys, good morning. And I guess first off, congrats to, to Dave and, and best of luck. Um, my my question is on caps. Uh, is there any update there um, on the, the sort of the contract status or contract levels um, on that pipe moving forward? Um, or, or, you know, is there anything to be sort of gleaned from your decision today to, to, that you're announcing, you know, fairly significant spending on that asset starting next year? You know, as we mentioned uh, earlier this year, we, we deferred the, the uh, uh, project by one year, and uh, all of our shippers committed to, uh, you know, to, to, to that one-year defer, so what we... All of our contracts carried forward. Um, the only guidance we've provided is that 70% of the initial capacity is contracted. And, mm -hmm. um, and like I say, we have all those contracts still in place. Okay. We, you know, sorry, go ahead. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess I was just going to ask, uh, you know, is there longer term as we sit here today, the, the, the futures curve, the WTI futures curve is – you know, still mid 40s at best. So, is there any concern that um, as some of the mandatory curtailments in Alberta come to a uh, close later this year, uh, some of the more conventional assets, um, you know, we might see another wave of, of shut-ins further down the road as um, uh, spreads widen out, possibly? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's, a, there's, I guess, a lot to your response. I mean, I think the reason why you see um, the resiliency of oil sands production is that there's a lot of demand for that heavy barrel in the U.S. because all the complex refining uh, capacity in the U.S. Um, you know needs that barrel even more with um, with Venezuela and, and uh, Mexico in, de in decline. 
So, you know, you know, we certainly are getting more and more confidence with uh, with Trans Mountain Pipeline, which, uh, as you know, is going to add, uh, you know, 650,000 or so uh, barrels of additional capacity, and uh, and that's uh, scheduled to be in service in 2022, maybe it's 2023. Um, so, if there are if there are curtailments, um, you know, we think that you know those are sort of short term, and uh, when we look at the long term. Uh, we certainly still believe that there'll be the demand for diluent will will increase. Um, but if you if you think about overall the you know what the what the business proposition is for for caps, it's it's just that need to have a competing system. Um, you know, I, I use the example that if you had uh, at your airport only one airline that you could fly with, um, what do you think the cost of that service would be, and how good would the service be if you had only one alternative? And again, as we talked about uh, the pet chem side of the business, um, you know, would you want to make a $6 billion investment if you thought that you could only get feedstock off of, you know, primarily one system? And, um, and, and that's part of the reason why for our industry and, and for our province that you need competition. Um, okay. No, that's, uh, that's all very helpful. Think, thanks a lot on that one. And then I guess, just to clarify something, did did uh, I think I missed it earlier in the call? But did you guys quantify the uh, impact of the Wapiti outage in the quarter? Yes, we did. We said it was sixteen million dollars. Sixteen. Okay, got it. Um, that's it for me then. Thank you guys. That was one six. One six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 I yes. heard you say got six it. zero. <laughs> As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Great. Good morning. Um, just on the 2021 growth capex in that 400 to 450 range, how much of that is secured today versus things you might secure in the future? And are you able to break out how much of that is, is caps? No, we haven't gone into that detail, but what I can tell you, Robert, is that that most of it is related to CAPS, and then there is some for the South Cheecham uh, Sulphur Project that we had announced, um, uh, I think, a year ago. So there's a little bit for that as well, but but a lot of it is for CAPS, and, and as we had talked about earlier, most of that spend begins, you know, in the second half of next year. Got it. And just, Eileen, is there a material portion of that range, though, that's unsecured at this point, or if you announce new initiatives, that's going to be kind of plus, plus, plus. Yeah, there would be something in addition. If, yeah, there's very little for unsecured. Um, you know, Dean, you mentioned contractual backing uh, earlier on an earlier question, and previously you know, you've talked about a desire to focus on the liquids um, infrastructure, just given the ability to get long-term take-or-pay and your desire to really add that take-or-pay component. I guess just in the past, though, you've had a willingness to take calculated risks, um, maybe some lower upfront returns. Is that still the case, or, or have you refined that going forward to, say, you know, lock in something like the low end of that 10 to 15% range? Yeah, I think I think our philosophy is, is similar, but uh, what I'd say is that you know, our base return has to be higher than what it was before. And that's to account for a higher cost of capital and uh, and sort of making sure that we, we manage our risk. And, and uh, you know, we have a new CFO with uh, Eileen, and she's really put her foot down on us. So 
<laughs> but but um, you know, generally, yeah, we we um, you know, with our self-funded model, we have a lot of opportunities, uh, and and you know, so we have constrained capital. So that's a good place to be, and and I think that helps us force that discipline to make sure that we have high base returns, but also upside, so that we can achieve better than average returns overall as a corporation when we when we compare ourselves relative to our peers. Should we expect though that that base return is something more like that low end of the 10 to 15 percent? Yeah, I don't want to you know give specifics, but 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 certainly it's 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 higher than what it was before for sure. Um, if I can just finish with, so you've got three and a half billion dollars of tax pools. I'm just wondering, can you give what a composite CCA rate looks like? But the other thing is, what's, what keeps moving the 2020 cash taxes around? Uh, I thought that most of your assets were sitting in LPs. Um, yeah, so it is really the the current outlook for the, the taxable income. So, you know, we had one and a half billion of assets that came available for use over the last two years. So you know, with, with that much tax pools available, we were able to reduce this year's taxes to zero, but also to create a taxable loss that we're able to recover taxes from, from the prior year. So, you know, it, it essentially with the, with the AEF outage and our taxable income for this year having come down a little bit, um, that, that would be the big driver for that. Okay, that's what's secured back. And then do you have a composite CCA uh, rate? Through miss that? Did you repeat? Composition decline rate oh. on the UCC. Oh. So most of them are the 25% um, decline rate, the GNP type. We, yeah, we can get back to you, Robert, if you yeah. like on that. But but most of it is the 25%. 25. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. We we disclosed that in your end your end disclosures, I think, right? Okay, that's great. Um, and yeah, just uh, Dave, all the best in retirement. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. Take care. Our next question comes from the line of Elias Scolos with Industrial Alliance. Your line is now open. Uh, good morning. Um, thanks very much for taking my call. And uh, David, I'd like to wish you congratulations on your upcoming retirement. Thanks, Elias. Uh, first question, uh, just to follow up on the capital program for 2021, let me call it the plus-plus category. Uh, any possibility with TMX for a, a baseline expansion? Yeah, Elias, it's Jamie. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're, not, we're not the operator of that facility, um, Pemina is, but we're certainly um, constantly in conversations with them with respect to BTT. Um, you know, certainly we see an opportunity um, as TMX comes online for additional demand for storage. And our view is that uh, with our partner, we're, we're the best position to take advantage of that in the marketplace. Good. Th thanks for that. Um, you know, I, I'd probably concur with you. Um, moving to the wild horse terminal, um, I want to see if I word this correctly. We're heading towards mechanical completion, I think, by the end of the year. Um, we're starting to make a contribution. I think you've been very careful in wording it within the first half of the year. Uh, how do you expect that ramp up to be in terms of, uh, let me call it, the margin contribution uh, from the terminal? Would that start to hit towards uh, Q2, and would it be a relatively slow ramp or a, a quick ramp? 
so it's Jamie again, Elias. So yeah, the, there, there's definitely going to be a ramp. Um, um, you know, our you know, our, our customers, um, in, including Kira, who has who's taken out um, a million barrels of storage at, at that facility. Um, you know, we we expect that the, the ramp is is going to be um, you know relatively um, expedited in nature. Um, you know, we're confident in in the facility, and and it was built around efficiency um, and and uh, you know providing. Uh, our, our customers the uh, the most efficient terminal in, in Cushing. Um, so, from an operational perspective, we don't anticipate the ramps going to be too challenged. It's 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 more um, the the uh, the uh, the commercial um, element and the margin associated with it that will uh, will will take a little bit of time to to realize the uh, the uh, the ultimate run rate that we expect from that facility. So, hopefully, that answers your question. Yeah, that, that, that adds uh, some color. And, and maybe one last one, uh, it's probably directed towards you again, Jamie. Uh, uh, interested in, in Galena Park, it, it's not a huge capital investment, but uh, you know, from a very high level, uh, you know, what we've seen with some blending facilities or export facilities is they can be very profitable for their size. Is this one that uh, you know, probably has the, the possibility of making an oversized contribution for its relative capital? Well, I think when we unveiled this back in Investor Day in December, Elias, we we did indicate that we expected it to be on the higher end of our rate of return range, and and we still expect that to be the case. Great, thanks very much uh, uh, for all those answers, and uh, once again, uh, all the best to everybody in their new roles or transitioning roles. Thank you. There are no further questions in queue at this time. I'll turn the call over to Lavon Zadunik for closing comments. Thank you everyone for participating and listening on our call. That concludes um, the call for today. If you have any other questions, please don't hesitate to contact any member of the IR team. Thank you for your support and investment. Have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.